You, as you see, when man confused through the devil's temptation, who is God? It ruined everything. Man wanted to be God, falling right in the, in the steps of his father, the devil, who wanted to sit in the place of God, and in wanting to sit in the place of God, we, we lost sight of who is God. My dear listeners, I'm Joe Durso, and you're listening to That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to the proposition that all men are sinners worthy of eternal punishment, and Jesus Christ is the only one that can save. In a world where preachers have proclaimed for over a hundred years that God is love without a little hint that he is also infinitely righteous and just, there is little room to believe that God is angry with a race of fallen and sinful men. Such preaching and teaching have helped to harden whole societies against the accurate preaching of God's word. The sad irony of such false teaching is that it actually works to mask the love of God as found in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a living sacrifice, a lamb rejected by both God and men. Rejected by God in order to appease his righteous and holy demands to love him according to his holiness and rejected by men in order to silence the truth. It is my intention that the listeners of these broadcasts will hear about the entire character of God and so not distort the message of his holy word. I seriously hope that this episode along with others will be a blessing to your heart and a ray of hope in your life. And now for today's episode. I have entitled, Discovering a Holy Means of Grace, Part 2. That being said, let us get on with today's lesson. So in 2 Peter, chapter 1, where we left off in the last episode, we read these words, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us focus for just a minute on that word, uh, on that phrase, received a faith of the same kind as ours. That uh, word in the Greek is isotimos, uh, and it basically means uh, equally privileged or in equal honor. It is a word which means equivalent, and it's properly having the same equal value, equally privileged, held in equal honor. It's consistent value. So what, what Peter's saying there basically is he's writing to those people who, number one, receive the faith of equal value as his own. I think that this is far more key for us to get focused on this concept before we go into any of the rest of the book. Whether we go through the first chapter, which we're going to focus on qualities, we're going to look at eyewitness reports, we're going to look at the value of Scripture, false prophets in chapter 2. You know, all of these things are wonderful that he talks about. They're, they're exciting, they're important, they're valuable. And in, in a certain respect, they, they hinge on the fact that he's writing to people 
who have received the same kind or faith equivalent to his own. Now, why is that so important? Why is that so valuable? Well, seeing as the righteous shall live by faith, we're not told really the righteous shall live by any other quality of life. Why why not? I'll tell you what. It, It does say that there's quality of life right here in this chapter. But when I say that the scripture says, that the just shall live by faith, I think what that means is everything else is to grow out of faith. I went into this last lesson. I want to just reemphasize in the, sense, in the sense of review that the value of a, a faith that is received from God through which we focus on God. This is incredibly valuable. Why? Because God is the source of all things, and we're not. God is God, and we're not. God created all things, and we did not. It's, it, there's nothing more valuable than getting the order right. <laughs> nothing more valuable than to say there's two great realities. I got this from a movie. Two great realities in the universe. I think it's true. One, there is a God. Number two, I'm not him. Because you see, when man confused through the devil's temptation, who is God? It ruined everything. Man wanted to be God, falling right in the, follow, in the steps of his father, the devil, who wanted to sit in the place of God. And in wanting to sit in the place of God, we, we lost sight of who is God. The I am that I am that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. That's his personal name. I am. He's the only one who can say that with absoluteness attached to the name. We, we are because we, we've been created. We are, we have a beginning. We, we are, and it's due to the fact that God did it. God says, I am eternally, without beginning of days. He always is. At this point, we should throw ourselves on, the, on our face, on the ground, and realize that God is God. Incomprehensible. Self-existent, eternal, always existing God. Incredible, incomprehensible, fantastic uh, point of view that we are given in the scriptures of who God is. And Peter is saying that the just live by the faith that actually looks at these things, stops, doesn't tear down trees, doesn't cut down trees, doesn't turn them into an idol, they cannot see or heal, hear or feel or touch or walk or do anything. It's just dead wood, but we're going to call this an idol and make it into our own image. The, no, Peter's not writing to people like that. He's writing to people who have received the faith to understand the true and living God, that he's a person. He can communicate with him. We can understand him. We can read his word, hear what he, his word is to say to us, and we get on with a relationship. This, we're hanging, all the rest of the scripture makes sense because of this fact that we've received from God a faith like Peter's, if we have. Peter received this kind of faith, and he goes on to say in the rest of the verse, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He'd set things right. He didn't sweep sin under the rug. He dealt with it in the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is his son. 
that's kind of the, the beginning intro into a review. And then from there, we went on, and I won't go into all the details. You, you want to hear about it, go back to the first message if you haven't heard it. And understand that there are qualities of life in verse 5. He says, now for this very reason, uh, the very reason of everything he stacks, like I just said, that our faith is in the righteousness of our God. He stacks one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other, until our focus is so enamored with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the person of the living God. After stacking all that, he then says, now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, which is given from God. Supply moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. See, all of those qualities come from God. The focus of our attention has to be on God. Now, when men say this, men want to react to it and say, no, 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 the disciplines. Yes, the disciplines, but the disciplines have to come from God. I want You need to just like slow down and think about this because I know the teaching across the board today, if you're in a Christian church, if you're really a Christian, is discipline, do the discipline, do the discipline. When I was first saved, it was let go and let God. Self-effort was seen as a terrible thing, and it is a terrible thing because we want God involved in our lives. But we don't want to swing one way or the other. We want to understand how these work. We want to understand how to let go and let God. And we un- want to understand that when, how, what makes these qualities a part of our life. How we discipline our lives just for one thing. That's only one in, in eight of this list. Moral excellence. Where does that come from? All of these we, can only, we have to understand come from God. So there has to be a pause. There has to be worship. There has to be recognition in our mind every day where it's coming from, the power to, to exercise not just qualities, but qualities that find their source in God. In God. This is so important. Men want to rush on. Do the discipline. What discipline? What? That, that as I am the source of it? This is why when, when men talk, they talk about getting the order right, what worship is really all about. Is it about getting revved up emotionally? Well, it could be if getting, getting turned up emotionally finds its source in God. Right now, I'm just talking about order. I'm not t- talking about what exists and what doesn't. I'm, not, I'm talking about where it comes from at the end. You know, when we're glorified in heaven and our existence is in God, let me tell you what won't be ever absent. It will never be absent, the the, the notion, the understanding with fullness that God is the source of everything and not me. That's going to be in the the forefront of our minds always. Because sin results from anything else. If we ever get confused about who is the source of the quality of our life, that's sin. It's on the brink of sin. It becomes sin, and there will be no sin in eternity. So the one foremost idea in our minds will be God.
So we've been looking at uh, the Apostle Peter on this matter of faith. Let, let's take just a little bit of a gander at uh, what some of the other New Testament writers have to say. Not, not that it's going to be could be different because the scriptures are inspired by God and God never contradicts himself. But the Apostle Paul on this matter of faith and works put it this way. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now that's Romans 12, 3, and he goes on talking about gifts. And again, the gifts are measured according to the faith. James, in uh, James 2.18, the, the, the writer of the New Testament who's been accused of focusing on works as if that's all he talked about, well, he, he, he says an interesting thing in, in, in chapter 2 and verse 18, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. See, again, James is really talking about faith. He's talking about faith from the standpoint, the viewpoint of the works that faith produces. How about John? In his first letter in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, overcoming the world, which is overcoming sin, overcoming temptation, overcoming lust, all of these things which we would look at as an overcoming life which takes character, integrity, qualities of life, they're built on faith according to John. How about Jude? But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith. Consistency is the greatest of truth. And the Bible is completely and perfectly consistent with itself. So the first thing that we see as we reach the second letter of Peter, writing to those people who had a uh, a, a faith equivalent to his own is that it's built on the precious promises of God and those precious promises are the means by which we become partakers of the divine nature and as partakers of the d divine nature we're not short-sighted we're not forgetting that we're purificated from our from our sins because these qualities are growing in ourselves which gives us Character. It gives us integrity. It gives us holiness, purity, all those elements that he's talking about in those qualities. And then he goes on in verse 11 and says, For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not this one, not right here and now, but then will be abundantly supplied to you. It's going to be well done, good and faithful servant. It's going to be filled with rewards for all eternity for having developed these qualities by the power of the Holy Spirit through God-given and received faith. 
And then he says this, which is a very powerful and important study statement. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. We, we need to be certain that God is the author of the life that we live. We need to be certain because in that certainty that God is the author, then our devotion will be to him. I mean, to, to not be certain about who's doing the calling, then uh, who are we living for? Why are we doing the things we do? Why are we praying? Why do we go to church? Why do we read the Bible? If we're doing those things, why are we doing them? And this is where he's at. He's telling us uh, to be certain about who's doing the calling. Who's behind all of this? Is it him or is it us? Or is it some idol in our life? And is it trying to please other people? I mean, there could be a whole host of things that could be motivating us. And then when we're sure about who it is, he says in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Um, I think heaven's going to be heaven for us, even if we lose out on a few rewards. I think the, the kingdom, not, I'm not trying to contradict what's saying here, this, this, he wants abundance. He wants us to get everything that we can possibly get. Why? Because in doing that, you know, we're pleasing God. I mean, the, the ultimate reason for this is that we hear well done from him and he is perfectly pleased. But it's, it's more than that because he, he, he basically says if these things are happening, if these qualities are being multiplied, you will never stumble. Now, there's, there's a key, ver, ver, uh, key part of that verse is this matter of stumbling. Now, this is important because Jesus did say, you know, it would be better that a millstone, just picture a rock you can't, uh, a stone you can't possibly pick up. You're going to need a derrick, a bulldozer to get this thing moved, tied around your neck so that when it's thrown into the sea, I mean, you're just going. Okay, you're, you're gone. You're going into the depths of the sea. We're not going into a, a pool, you know, a little water. We're going down and down and down. I mean, you're done. Okay? You're not getting freed from this millstone. That's pretty serious. I mean, that, that's a picture Jesus gives. I'm not giving the picture. He gave the, the picture. If we cause someone to stumble, because stumbling is that bad. Stumbling is bad. It's not a little, you know, you fell, you scratch your knee. That's, that's not what, what's being spoken of here. The stumbling that Peter is referring to goes back to verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purifications from his former sins. This is, this is no little thing. I mean, you take a person who's a child of God, and he's building his, his understanding, his life, on this fact that he's forgiven. Well, if you're forgiven, that means you've done something to be 
guilty uh, in, and now needing forgiveness. Well, if you're, if you're short-sighted, if you, it's the word stigmatism, you can't see far off. If, if that's the case, then, and you've forgotten that you've been purified from your former sins, then you're not aware of the fact that you're, you're guilty. You know what this means in the life of the believer? This means that at this point, believer's life, they are no longer work, work, uh, living in, in humility. That, that's the, the bedrock for the Christian walk, is absolutely, it's humility. Why? Because Christ humbled himself. We're being made in the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's all built on humility. Philippians chapter 2. I mean, you know, he, he, he consented to come down and to become a man. This is, this is God, you know. So this is no little stumbling. Therefore, we're told in verse 10, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Stumble in this way. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Why? Because it's being abundantly supplied in this life because your, your eye is on in the, the mark, the, the mark of our humility, that we will walk in the forgiveness of our sins. And we've been restored, we've been made new, all because of the blood, the sacrifice, the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 12, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. We don't want to stumble out of that truth. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. I mean, at any time he was going to be taken, bound up, like Jesus said back in John chapter 21, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. In other words, you're going to lose your life. And I will also be diligent at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. What things? Why do we be good. We don't be good. We're not good for the sake of, of being good. We're not good to think well of ourselves. We're good in order to live a holy, separated life unto Jesus Christ because we love him, because we are respectful of him, and that we recognize that our salvation is all tied up in him. And it's about repenting of sin and it's about always repenting of sin as long as we live in this temple because we want to live holy and godly lives, not ungodly lives. And therefore, he would always be diligent about these things. Now, we get to the, to the main part, the main reason for this, this episode, and that's this eyewitness account that he speaks about and where it leads, where it, where, what it brings us to to understand for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not fantasizing in these things. Why do we know this? Because it became the word of God, the infallible 
word of God, the word of God that is perfect in every verse, every word, every sentence, because it is God-breathed. And therefore, he can say that when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. But when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. And I quote, he quoted, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, there's the, there's the view. The view is of Jesus Christ. This is on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Three men, Peter, James, and John, they're there. They're looking. They're beholding what? They're beholding Jesus Christ as he's transfigured before them. They're no longer seeing just a man. They're seeing a man who's becoming brilliant in their sight, even visually. Why? Because internally, where you couldn't see it, that's exactly who he is. He is who he was at that moment and who he's always been in eternity and he always will be. For when he received honor and glory, verse 17, from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. God is revealing himself in a cloud. He's standing on the top of a mountain, so to speak, and a voice is coming out of the cloud, and it's giving honor and glory to the Son, this man they've been walking with during this period of three years, and they give testimony afterward. We ourselves, he says in verse 18, heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So, here's a really important point. We have... The prophetic word, all the the Old Testament speaking about the coming of Christ. He says, we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star or the sun arises in your hearts. Wow, that's big. So the prophetic word is made more clear because, see, Jesus came. They handled him, the one who is the eternal life. They, they touched him. They heard him. They saw him. They witnessed the miracles. They, they, they saw the, the, the storm calmed and the water went from rough waters to completely calm in a minute, something they'd never see in their whole life, nor they would see it again, because only God can calm the storm in such a manner. Only God can create bread and fish from nothing. Only God could do the things that Jesus did, and therefore Jesus is God. And they had the prophetic word made more sure. Now, when we pay attention to these things, like a lamp, a handheld lamp that shows us the light just around our feet, that's what we hide in our heart. We, we place in our heart the word of God, and then God illuminates it. I, I don't even want to go past that and talk about how he does it in circumstances. And those, the, the point here is that God turns the lights on in his time. We need to start there. Light does not come from men. It does not come from university professors. It does not even come from godly teachers. It comes from God. For this reason, Jesus, when teaching the apostles, 
he said, call no man father. He said, be not called doctor. He said, be not called professor. He said, there's one God in heaven. Let's acknowledge that God and make that so primary that we don't confuse where things are coming from. In our day, men are very desirous, some men, to be very precise in properly exegeting or understanding, interpreting the Bible. And with that, they want to go and look at men and the context the men are writing, and all of this is right to do. We have to understand the language. We have to tear the language apart to properly understand it. This is great stuff. But when we overly focus on the text as if it's coming from men, and we do this by just emphasizing the man, what the man is doing, what he's thinking, how he come to this conclusion, that's great. But let's overemphasize in order to balance this out, the fact that this is inspired by God. We call it God's word. We don't call it Peter's word. Peter, God bless him, and he was blessed by God, was the channel through whom God spoke. He was the channel through whom God spoke. This is God's word, primarily. This is not primarily any man's work. Over 40 men, right, were used in the writing of Scripture, and it was equally of their mind, through their mind's eye, through their personality, through everything God had created in those men to accomplish His will in, in, uh, in, in inspiring this holy word. So the prophetic word is made more sure and the lights go on when we see God. It always works that way. You, you view man, idolize man, improperly uplift man, and the lights go out. I'm just being trying to be really careful here. I'm not trying to criticize any men. I, I just understand that sometimes there's more caught than taught, and oftentimes the things that are caught uh, are, are placed there by the devil. I understand that we, we war not against flesh and blood, but we war against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this present world. I understand the enemy. So we'll go on to verse 20 where he says, but know this first of all. Okay, this is first place. Know this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Wow, great thought, Peter. <laughs> He was inspired by God when he said this. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Why? For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Okay, so I'm just making the point that Peter made. I'm making the point that God made through Peter. I'm making the point that God is the author of Scripture and not men. I am making the point that God is all important and not men, that God is God and we are not God. And this is an important point because on this fact stands all the sin of all the world. You know, in the day that you eat this fruit, the devil said, you shall be like God. Oh, wow. And, and, and Eve said, yeah, let's go for that. That's an apple. 
that's a that's a, a fruit you know to swallow well yeah you can't swallow it because it's not true it'll never be true it can't ever be true there's one god god said in isaiah you know and there is no other there's no other god there's only one god all the false gods are just the, the figment of the devil and man's imagination they don't exist they're made of wood they're made of stone they're made of metal you know but they, they don't have eyes to see with or ears to hear they don't have a heart to believe they can't walk they can't do anything they don't exist it's just fake and false and phony and upon this reality that this is god's holy word is the confidence of our faith this is the main point what is the faith of of peter that we're supposed to have an equivalent faith to his. Well, it's in God's word. To him, it was the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. He was writing it here. As the Apostle Paul and as James and Jude and the, the men of the, the New Testament, Luke and the Gospels and Matthew, these men were being inspired as, as all men have been inspired to write in God's word. We have an equivalent faith as the Apostle Peter when we have our faith in this word. Now, you know, to many of us who go to church every Sunday and we go to, you know, each other's house and we, we study the Bible, I mean, this is as basic as you can get. You know how easy it is to get off track of this? Why is he writing these things? I mean, if he's writing to people like us, who that's all we, we, think, we think about. We go to church, we study the word. We, we, we go to one another's house, we study the word. It's all about the word, the word, the word. Well, it was true in Peter's day too. Only in Peter's day, they, they had just gone through Pentecost, a great revival when God, God stepped down and people were getting healed and the, the dead were being raised and miraculous things were occurring and God was in, in his glory. He, was, he had come down on earth like in the Great Awakening, the Welsh revivals, moments in time that there's a greater awareness of God than in normal times. And by the way, in case you're confused, we're living in a normal time. And he's living, he was living in, a, in, a, in an extraordinary time, foreshadowing a time that yet to come, when God will come down in, in full force again. Only this time it'll be for a millennium. And in this context, in this t- context of real revival, he's saying things like, now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and he goes through knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and these are the qualities. Why? For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. That's a possibility that lays before our feet all the time. We who love Christ, who desire to study his word and who want to live for him, the possibility of stumbling is present. Do you believe that? I hope you do, because if you don't, you're in trouble already. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. What's going to make us stumble? First and foremost, the big one, the big issue the big, what's the big issue? The big issue is, is the word of God, God's word. 
Are we focused on a prophetic word made more sure? Are we focusing on God or on men? Are we looking to professors and doctors and teachers? What was it that John said? He said, you know, you, you all know. You, you know all things. And you don't need any man to teach you. Now, we have to take that in its proper text, context because God gave gifts to the, the church. He gave pastors and teachers. And yet at the same time, I'm going to repeat this because it's so important and how easy it is to lose sight of this. We don't need any man to teach us. Why? Because if you're a child of God, then you're actually born again. Only the born again people are child, children of God. And if you're born again, that means that God in the Holy Spirit has regenerated man's soul. He's given him a new heart. He's given him a, a new heart that makes him new. And because he's new, he's able to understand. Understand all things. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. If not, listen really, really carefully. Finding fault with them in verse 8 of chapter 8 of Hebrews, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, therein is the new covenant. The new covenant is a covenant whereby God comes into the heart and he makes it new. He places his laws on their minds and writes them on their hearts. This is the new covenant. This is who we are. And for this reason, because we have this heart that makes us aware of the truth, that desires within us the truth and the law of God, which otherwise as sinners, we don't desire it. We're not able to keep it. We don't want it, but God changes that in the heart of the believer through the work and the sufferings and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him and through his sufferings, we're made whole and we're made new. And so in that sense, we don't need anyone to teach us what only God can. We don't need anyone to make our eyes aware what only God can. For this reason, the Holy Spirit was sent. Wait, he's going to come, he told the apostles. And when he comes, he's going to open your eyes and he's going to teach you things I'm not going to teach you right now. You're not even able to bear it. Why? You have to fall away first. You have to run away and you have to see your weakness. You have to see your selfishness and your sinfulness when you abandon me on the most important day. In human history... The, the day when God was crucified, when he was nailed to a piece of wood, I'm sorry, by sinful men. You know, if these things don't, don't move us, if the sufferings of Christ don't move us, then, then there's something lacking in, in our hearts. And, it, and it's possible every day for that lack 
to manifest itself, to reveal itself. Because we have a new heart, we have a new mind, God has made a new covenant, and He's the one keeping the covenant. <clears throat> but we're, we're still locked into this sinful body that the desire is evil and it has to be kept under control. Its desire is for you. It's, 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 it's sitting down at the door, we read in Genesis 4, and its desire is for us. That's sin. And, and we must conquer it. We only conquer it through faith. The faith of the kind that Peter had. The faith that's, that's, that builds on this foundation, as he puts it, uh, of the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he wants grace and peace to be multiplied in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. His faith is resting on these promises because he goes on and says, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, faith focusing on these things, then from these things we proceed to quality of life quality of life that is produced by the Holy Spirit, a quality of life that grows out of faith in God because God is the one who produces it. And then when we have this quality, we maintain it every day by faith so that we don't stumble. And we don't stumble because we understand that Peter was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness of the majesty and the glory of Christ. Because it's, beca it's become written in his word, and it's his word that we focus on. We understand it's uttered by God and not by men. And therefore, our feet stand strong on the rock of our salvation, that is Jesus Christ. I don't think I can make it more clear than Peter did. I'm just re-uttering what this word says in Second Peter chapter 1. I hope you hear this. I hope you continue and that you will never stumble. That is my desire for you. If these things have touched you today, I hope that you'll email me or contact me. You can get me through, uh, as some of you I would imagine know, uh, get to my podcast, get to my, my book, uh, through the JesusYouKnowDot.com website or GodlyIncrease.org uh, for my other blog. I, I hope and I pray that you will hear these things and be blessed by them. And I pray God's blessing on your the rest of your life until if you're a born-again Christian, you're, you're uh, transferred to the kingdom of, of his dear son. Uh, thank you for listening, and I, I pray your, God's richest blessing upon you. Amen. <laughs>